worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. San Antonio Sports Star Audio Vault is brought to you by AA Best Bail Bonds. 225-2121 or online at mybestbailbonds.com. James Pledger, Jack Thompson, The Saturday Morning Hangover. Good morning, San Antonio. Welcome into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 103.3 FM. I am James Pledger. Jack Thompson out today, but filling in for him, we've got our Rock the Mic runner-up, Katie Goodman, joining me in studio today. What's going on, Katie? What is up? Not a whole lot. Just happy to be here. There's a lot going on. I mean, we got the NBA playoffs. We've got uh, the round of 32 in the USL, uh, or excuse me, the US Open Cup coming up. We've got the NFL draft just wrapped up. A lot going on in the world of sports right now and out of sports because. I went and saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness yesterday. How was it? I have wanted to see that so bad. I love Doctor Strange. Okay, so it's fun. It's very kind of almost like a horror movie in a mm. sense, mm. which is really weird for a Marvel movie. I mean, I like the dark, ominous yeah. stuff. So. It was really cool, so I was about that. And um, it's a fun movie. It was a it was a lot of fun. Uh, the visual effects were really cool. Ooh, okay. I'm trying not to be very spoilery yeah. with it. <laughs> do you, which one do you think is better, the first or the second? Oh, silence. Probably the first. Okay. Probably the first. Okay. Um, but that's not a detriment to the second one. Okay. By okay. any means, okay. not at all. Um, I loved all the yoga references. For the, those of you who don't know, I'm a yoga instructor yeah, yeah. on the side. <laughs> and uh, and that and that first Doctor Strange movie, I really loved all the yoga Buddhism references. And just, they continue with some of that, like, so oh, that's yeah. nice. Uh, it is it is a fun trip, and I use that word oh, trip very interesting. <laughs> it, is it uh, a magic trip? It is a magic trip, that is for sure. But it was a it was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm in- interested to kind of see where everything goes from here. But I learned while I was there during the opening credits, the summer blockbusters are back. Right. I was unsure if that was going to happen after COVID again. Right. But movie theaters, summer blockbusters, they're back. I I went and we got four previews. And I realized I want to see all four of these movies in theater. Wait. They they started with Top Gun Maverick, oh. the Top Gun sequel. Oh, and wow. that was my movie growing up as a kid. Heck yeah! Like it's such a classic. Can it, it is. Can a it be remade? Classic. Can it be? Remade? It's not remade. It's a sequel. Oh, oh. <gasps> Thirty six years later, it's a sequel. Wow, that's what's happening. So I am so excited to go see Top Gun at the end of this month. 
think it's dropping somewhere near uh, Memorial Weekend. So that should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect timing. Exactly. America. America. (laughs) (laughs) So that was awesome. The new Pixar Buzz Lightyear movie, which gives you the backstory of the Buzz uh, Lightyear action figure from the Toy Story movies. Like why he was a revered hero, I guess. Yeah. So that's going to be extremely fun and looks really interesting. The more I see of the trailer of that. Nostalgia. It's crazy how the 2000s stuff is coming. The Y2K is like cool mm-hmm. now. And I'm like, but that was me in high school. It can't be cool again. Like, yes, it can. No. That means I'm so cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I'm not mad about Britney and Britney, Britney Spears, Christina. Exactly. Clara. They, I can, they're I can back. Throw some of that on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> they're back. Yes. Britney is uh, just as crazy as she was when she. Uh, you know, was it the peak of her fame? <laughs> right, right, right. She's just keeping us on our toes. You know, she's just leaning into that Y2K movement. Yeah, and I'm about it. Like, let's go, Brady. Like, yeah. let's do some things. It's so cool, though, because she's doing it in a time when mental health is, like, open and more acceptable to it, talk about. It's you know? more acceptable to talk about. And we're going to get into, like, mental health a little bit later in the show. Ooh. We're going to have uh, Cole Thompson of Sports Map Radio in Houston and Sports Illustrated Texans reporter. He's going to be joining us around 10.15 as we kind of recap the draft and stuff. We had the NBA playoffs last night. Uh, WNBA season kicked off. Becky Hammond in her first career game yes. gets a blowout win over the Phoenix Mercury. Very Congratulations, Becky. We're going to talk about that coming up for sure. I'd expect nothing less. After the... Uh, the Buzz Lightyear one got the new the new Marvel one, of course. Oh, Thor Love and Thunder's right. coming out this summer. Thor. Yes. Oh, and Chris Hemsworth. While that the first two movies made the Thor kind of an uneventful character for the most part, mm-hmm. Thor Ragnarok and Taika Watiti kind of changed the narrative on who Thor was right. and he became this eminently lovable person. As he does like a buddy cop movie almost yeah. with uh, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk in Thor Ragnarok. And now he's at it again. This time he's teaming up with Chris Pratt and the Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So that's going to be a really fun story. And I, I enjoy that. And after that, speaking of Chris Pratt, speaking of nostalgia, the new Jurassic World Dominion trailer. Uh dropped while we were there and that's another summer blockbuster i'm gonna want to go see many that's so there's so many blockbusters all in one summer like i don't really remember there being that many blockbusters in one summer are they trying to make up for lost time or is it has it always been that way and i I think it's always been that way because i remember summers were the time you went and saw movies back when you were a kid like you had the original spider-man movies come out you had will smith owned whether it was Independence Day or Wild West or Men in Black, like they, he owned the summer. That is true. So the, the summer blockbuster is back when I, when I was at the theater and saw these movies that I want to see. And then you're right. There's kind of a nostalgic feel to it because Jurassic World Dominion, while you get Chris Pratt and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard or Dallas Bryce Howard, they're bringing back. Jeff Goldblum and Alan, like they're bringing back the original Jurassic Park 
crew. Cast. Like all yes. of it. Oh my god. Like I, I love it when they bring back the old cast and like just let them play an older version of themselves. It makes it so much better than trying to remake it. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's no way you can really remake something. You just can't you just can't do it the same justice. So, so they're continuing the story. I love it. And I just found out like because I've been so long I like it's been Marvel movies or nothing in theaters for me for so long. I think the last non-Marvel movie I saw that I really had interest in, or superhero movie, because I'll I'll throw the Batman into that conversation and stuff. But outside of that, the last non-Marvel movie I saw was probably either Knives Out, which was really good, or John Wick. But there hasn't been a whole lot of John Wick Chapter 3. But there haven't been a whole lot of like reasons to go watch a movie in theaters yeah. lately. Now that you mention it, I also don't think I've seen anything other than Marvel in, in the movie theater recently. And Disney owns the box office. That's just how it goes. But it's nice to have that feeling of excitement about wanting to go see movies again in theater. Because outside of a Marvel movie, it's kind of been a hot minute since I've even wanted to see movies in theaters. Cherry, I see a big old thing of popcorn. And the best part about it now, most of these, like the one I go to, the Santicos Embassy, they've redone it all inside. They've got a bar in there now, so you can get a drink and take it into the theater. See, they picked up on it. Everyone wanted to drink during the pandemic. So how do we get people back to the movie theater? Alcohol. Exactly. Exactly. They know what's up. (laughs) Yep. 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 Oh, man. But I, I was out a few weeks ago. I think it was before I went to Birmingham. And I was put in a really awkward situation by some friends that are... I don't know, situationship. I don't know what to call okay. it. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I can it, relate. <laughs> it left me in a bad spot. And I'm wondering what's the worst spot you've ever been left in? Um, because I've had to like take drunk people like home. Like and we're not talking about like around the corner home. We're talking about like all the way out to Spring Branch home. Right. That- <laughs> That's obnoxious, too. You know, you're like, damn it, I love you, but come on, man. Exactly. Like, uh, it shouldn't have been like this. I, like, get your stuff together. It's so funny you mentioned that. Yeah. Because just yesterday, I had to make the trek up to Austin Ooh. to pick up my really good friend from the airport because Air- the son of a gun oh, that son of a gun. she was dating left her there. They got into a little thing. Left her there, had to Whoa. go and pick her up. And like, we made it, we made it worth it. You know, we, we had Does got she live dinner. here or in Austin? She lives here. Okay. But the flights are, you know, always cheaper, cheaper out, out of Bergstrom. Yeah. Yeah. So they flew out together, got into it on the trip. And then, and then, you know. He just yeah. left her at the airport. Yeah. I can't get into the details. I really wow. can't. Wow. But now this is a he's, whole nother he's, level. He's on Katie's uh, blacklist. I would don't want to be on Katie. Certainly (laughs) hope so. Yeah, that is. I mean, if if that doesn't give you enough incentive to just never talk to that person again, you know they will. Though you know they will. But I don't know. I don't know. He's gonna reach out and be like, "Hey, babe, I'm sorry." No. Well, you know. Oh no, I don't know. Like it's so hard to say because especially when people are in an up and down relationship Mm -hmm. quite often. You know, like 
at some point there does come a breaking point, hopefully. Because yeah. otherwise it progresses into something really, really bad. Either and the, emotionally the or physically just... Yeah. So like you I'm really hoping this is the hair that broke the candles back. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, your your relationship is also now affecting me. I cleared my schedule to go get you. <laughs> no, but it was fun. It was actually a really fun and much needed girl time, you That's know. Good. And and I love my friend. I would I would do that for her all over again. You know, I don't Absolutely. I don't want her to feel like she could never call me or something, you know? And so that's why I was like, you know what? I don't have anything super pressing. It's not like I had work that day. Mm -hmm. I just had a couple of things planned. So I was like, you know what? Why not? Why not just run up there and grab her and, and run back? But yeah, no. Um, better boyfriends. Get better boyfriends. <laughs> All right. I, this <laughs> this goes into a kind of a deeper thing to where I, I was wondering... The breaking point kind of moves a lot of the times. The more invested you are in a relationship, the, the harder it is to let that thing go. And Depends. the easier it is to fall back into it. Unless they piss you off enough times and you get smart about it. And you're done with being pissed off all the time. But why can't we just remove ourselves from that? How do we get so emotionally involved? I have a theory. Okay. Because mostly because it's happened to me. Okay. I have also been in that situation. Same, which same. is why I'm very understanding of this stuff. Like, it's a pattern, right? But sometimes you don't know it's a pattern until you're really deep into it. And you hold, you know, usually in the beginning of a relationship, they do all the right things. They say they all, all the right things. Oh, man, this is the perfect match. Like, I found... And... And it's just like, I don't know, like I, you, you use those, that, that, those couple of weeks or months or whatever of really good moments mm -hmm. and you use them to justify a lot of bad moments. And so I always suggest people make a pros and cons list, Ooh. not to keep tabs, but like if it's to the point of where you're like, I don't know if I can take this anymore. I don't know if I can be with this person uh -huh. Girl, get out your pros and cons list. Good old fashioned <laughs> elementary elementary school style, like pros and cons. Okay, and um, and like, and all, like, I don't know. It it's it's complicated, but that's like my number one theory of why people stay and stuff like that. Yes, because people who are either emotionally or physically abusive, they don't start out that way. It becomes that over time. Slowly, they they train the person they're with to. To take it right mm -hmm. and so like no one in their right mind would just be like oh man i love that he treats me like crap all the time <laughs> you know? of course i got a theory to expand upon your theory because i believe as humans we're kind of conditioned to the status quo a lot of the times right. like routines mm -hmm. when you're in a relationship a lot of it becomes routine Safety. routines are very hard yeah. to break yeah so on top of the routine nature of, of things, there's also the, we talked about it earlier, the nostalgia of things. Mm -hmm. Buzz Lightyear is coming back. We, we saw a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboot. They are redoing Batman again, like the Jurassic World, Top Gun sequel, like nostalgia. We crave nostalgia. Don't even get me started about the holidays. And dating people around the holidays. Oh. That's a whole thing. That's a thing? That's a whole thing. What do you call it? Like cuffing or something like I, that? That's I'm a whole sure. term where people, once the holidays come around, they all start like getting together with people just because the like marketing around the holidays makes you feel so alone. Okay. So people end up going into relationships long before they're ready to go back into a relationship because they just don't want to be alone. And I'm like, stay away from me, people. 
<laughs> I stay single Memorial out Day's here. coming yeah. up. You stay away. <laughs> like, let me enjoy my beer in peace, okay? <laughs> she is Katie Goodman, yeah. our Rock the Mic runner-up. I am James Pledger. You can follow us on Twitter. She is at I'm Katie Goodman. I am at I am Pledger. This is the Saturday morning hangover <laughs> on San Antonio Sports. So I promise we're getting into some sports. NBA playoffs. Do we have some series now? A couple that looked around like runaways. You know what they say? It doesn't. The series doesn't start until the road team wins. Well, we still don't have a road team win yet. We'll discuss next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM twelve fifty and one zero three three FM. Talk dirty to me. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250, 103.3 FM. I am James Pledger. Jack Thompson is out today, so I brought Katie Goodman in studio as we are riding along. What's happening, Katie? What is up? <laughs> this is where the party's at on this a Saturday where the morning. At. I don't think it's a hangover. It's a, so it needs to be the Saturday morning party. <laughs> you have such a good time out here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can be. Right. I mean, I, I think I like to think that life is a party. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Love it. Uh, the NBA playoffs are always a big party, and things are still managing to kind of it look like we thought we knew what these series were between the Heat and Sixers and the Suns and Mavericks. We thought we knew what these series were. They looked totally outclassed throughout the first couple of games of the series, but those games were at home for each of the one seeds. Now the four seeds return serve, and in Philadelphia, Joel Embiid returns from an orbital fracture suffered in the closeout game against the Toronto Raptors and a concussion, makes his return in Game 3. The first of this series has a very good game, comes back and helps to lead the 76ers to a 20-point lead win over the Miami Heat as that series is now 2-1. Same goes for the Dallas Mavericks. They get a 103-94 win over Phoenix as that series shifted to Dallas. Luka Doncic finally sees some help, and all of a sudden, we are 2-1 in both of these series. Both of those series, big wins for each of the respective home teams, and they say a series doesn't truly start until the road team wins. We haven't had a road team win in either of these series yet, so this could get a lot more interesting than I initially think either of these series were going to be. There's still plenty of entertainment to come <laughs> when there has not yet been a road game win. I mean, we have so many games left. I always think about, like, from an athlete's perspective, mm -hmm. how difficult that is to play the same team over and over and over. Because yeah. I feel like, you know, when you have your the one time you play the team, you you either get lucky like there's no such thing as getting lucky yeah. in a seven game series no there's no such thing as luck and and as you play these teams they just learn even more about you and and that's and the adjustments irking. that are made and i think that yeah. falls on coaching a lot of times mm -hmm. because the ability to make the adjustments in in series and even in game to you know change the momentum of a series i always find extremely fascinating jimmy butler went off for 33 points for miami last night they got i want to say it was 14 off the bench from tyler hero 
Those were the only two Heat players that scored in double figures last night. Wow. Now, the Sixers on the other side of things, they got MVP candidate Joel Embiid back. He is one of the three finalists for the MVP along with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Nikola Jokic. And he comes back first game since breaking an orbital bone and suffering a concussion. He goes for 18 points, pulls down, you know, 13 rebounds, has a huge impact on this game, especially down the stretch to help kind of close this thing out. Mm-hmm. Proving MVP status once again. Seriously, how do you bounce back from that <laughs> so quickly? That's concussions are no joke. No joke. But the orbital bones, too, like the playing with a mask, mm-hmm. I find weird because you play a certain way your entire time, whether it's with a sleeve, without a sleeve, your socks done a certain way. Like you have a comfortability when you play with a certain way that your uniform fits, that you wear your stuff, like every, like if something's different, you feel kind of off in that game. This dude's playing with a plastic mask on his face, which has to be just weird. Yeah. And, And then to fracture the orbital bone, that's such a sensitive place to have a fracture. Like, all it takes is another fall, you know, but I, and when, you're, when the, the stakes face. are high and your career depends on it, you have to kind of be okay with maybe having a wonky eye socket <laughs> one day. <laughs> That's what I think. I'm like, eh, at least his athletic ability is the moneymaker, yeah, right? <laughs> he came in and he balled out. Uh, he yeah. goes for 18. Tyrese Maxey and former San Antonio Spur, Danny Green, each with Damn. 21 points in that game. And Danny Green... W- he got the nickname Icy Hot here in San Antonio yeah. because he was so hot and cold. Like, he would be red hot from behind the arc. <laughs> they'd be ice cold. <laughs> so, uh, he was hot last night. Seven for nine from three. Oh, my gosh. Seven for nine from three? Mm-hmm. All oh, 21 points come from behind the arc as he was feeling it yesterday. Dang. That's like a whole rhythm. Whole rhythm, flow state going on there. I love it when I see athletes really getting into that state, you know. And it, it's such a struggle, a mental struggle, when things just aren't aren't going your way like that. And it, there's something to be said. I don't know, especially in the NBA. Role players play better at home. Like superstars, game travels on, off, doesn't matter on the road, mm-hmm. home environment, neutral site. You expect them to help carry you. The role players really, for some reason, they feel more comfortable, the lighting in the gym, their routine, whatever it may be, but a lot of the times, role players just play better at home, and I think we saw that with the Philadelphia 76ers and and the Miami Heat for that fact. I mean, you look at what they did, they only had two players, it was both of their stars in double figures last night. And that was kind of the difference in that game. You flip it to the Mavericks and Suns, kind of a similar thing. On the road, it felt like Luka Doncic was alone in this series. He was scoring 40 points a game, nothing from anywhere else. They returned home last night. Jalen Brunson leads the way in scoring with 28 points. Luka almost gets a triple-double with 26, 13, and 9 and they just had help up and down the lineup. I was going to say, it's crazy what he can do with a little bit of help when <laughs> the other teammates decide to show up. Right? It's, it's amazing <laughs> once you get a little bit of help from elsewhere, right. what a superstar can truly do to help elevate your team. Yeah. But that's 
kind of, I believe, why the saying exists, until the road team gets a win, the series doesn't truly start, just because the difference between the non-superstars on the home, at home and on the road is marketably different. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I mean, think about it, the energy in your own home stadium, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, why not, like... It just makes sense. You're a little more well rested. You're not traveling as often. Like it definitely makes sense. So it's incredible. We got a couple of huge games coming up today. Uh, both of these series tied at a game apiece for Game Threes. Early this afternoon, two thirty, Boston, Milwaukee. What we think is going to be one of the best series in this playoffs, much less the second round. That's going to be very interesting. The series now going to Milwaukee. With it, 1-1. Marcus Smart, who missed Game 2, likely back for Game 3 tonight. The Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA against Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, as I mentioned earlier, one of the three MVP candidates. So, no Chris Middleton still for the the Bucks. This is going to be very interesting to kind of see how those role players fare in this game tonight. And on the other side tonight, a game you can actually catch right here on San Antonio Sports Star, we're going to have Memphis and Golden State. That series tied at one. This series has been extremely tight. While Boston-Milwaukee's been a blowout in game one, a blowout in game two, we've seen this one come down to the end in both of these games. And John Morant is butting as a superstar right in front of our eyes against this Golden State team. Now this series headed back to San Francisco, playing in the Chase Center, that new arena they built. It's going to be a very, very interesting after two very, very close games in Memphis. Does the tide shift to where we see our first blowout of this series now that Golden State's at home? I think that that's kind of the difference in this series. Like Golden State on the road, able to keep it extremely, extremely close. One of any blowouts in the first two games of this series. Now that Memphis has to travel on the road, they've only got one real superstar in Jean Morant. Can those guys step up on the road when at Golden State you've got Steph Curry, you've got Clay Thompson, you've got Draymond Green, you've got Jordan Poole returning home, probably can make a case he should have been the most improved player, not John Morant this year, but that's another conversation for another show. But the weapons they have now going home, their role players will probably play better than they did on the road. How does that affect this series, and do we see our first blowout in this series? I kind of hope so. Just to keep things interesting, you know. Like, <laughs> like you're saying, like it doesn't really get good until you know somebody upsets somebody in the road. Yeah, and we've had that in each of these series today so far. So that's going to be extremely fun to watch. Like, how does this series turn one way or another for each of these other teams? Right, right. <laughs> Are they going to keep us on our toes till the very end? I or kind do you of think hope something so. Something might happen right in the middle. You know, you never know. Now, I think personally that Golden State gets the first blowout in this series. I think them going home, getting some home cooking, the other two games being extremely close, I think this is kind of where the the tide in this series shifts and you see the playoff and championship experience that Golden State has and they're able to kind of lean back on that with the players that they have while Memphis, this is all new to them. 
a lot of these players, they've never been here before, especially in the second round, especially on the road in the second round game against a playoff caliber, championship caliber team. So I think that championship experience starts to come into play for the Warriors here against the Grizzlies. It's going to be very, very exciting. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm on my edge of my seat, ready for it, <laughs> ready for it. <laughs> Another thing that happened this week, though, we had the NFL draft wrap up. It's going to be interesting because we all know this is Cowboys town. This is a huge Cowboys town, but has the gap in the NFC East shrunk after the draft? Katie and I are going to talk about it next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 103.3 FM. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250, 103.3 FM. I am James Pledger. I am joined by Katie Goodman, who is in for Jack Thompson today. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at I am Pledger. She is at I'm Katie Goodman. <laughs> There's no A in between the I and the M. It's, it's I'm, I'm, I am. Yes. <laughs> you can find us. <laughs> uh, we are, went to break. We were talking about the NFL draft and how things may have shifted for the Dallas Cowboys. You look at what happened, their draft, their grades are so varied between analyst to analyst, Mel Kuyper Jr. They were tied for the worst draft grade according to ESPN's draft analysts, with a C, along with the New England Patriots. Others have them in the B range. Like Some have them as a high B. Like they're, The grade on Dallas varies so much. And while I believe personally, I look at Dallas, and I don't think there was a lot of adaptability in the draft for them in terms of We've seen them take the best player when it falls into their laps in previous years. Didn't need a wide receiver. CD Cooper was, uh, CD Lamb was the best player on their draft board. He fell to them a few years ago. They take him. All of a sudden it works out because, you know, got rid of Amari Cooper this offseason. Michael Gallup got hurt and they lose Cedric Wilson in free agency. Like all of a sudden their receiving core has shifted within just a couple of years because that's the nature of the NFL. Things change so quickly in the NFL between injury and free agency. Just things don't remain the same. And so you look at the difference that happened in the NFL over this past year. And they, it felt like they were like, oh, man, we we lost offensive linemen. Connor Williams went. We cut Lyle Collins, like we have this gap on the offensive line, we need to target an offensive lineman. We have to target an offensive lineman, a versatile offensive lineman. And then they were like, well, we lost, you know, Randy Gregory in free agency. The Broncos came and took him. We thought we had him. Then we lost Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson. So receivers in need. That's the third thing on our priority list. Uh, Blake Jarwin had to retire because of a hip injury that is a bad football injury for them and may never play again. Tight ends and he, it felt like they listed their needs on their board and went, all right, checked offensive lineman off the board in the first round, checked defensive end off the board in the second round, checked receiver in the third, checked tight end in the fourth. Like they went down their needs in order of importance and just kind of checked things off the board instead of 
as things fall to you, like the best defensive player in the draft kind of falls into their lap and Jermaine Johnson at 19, but they were like, wow, tight ends or or offensive tackles are really flying off the board right now. We better get one now. And it felt like that was kind of their draft philosophy when it hadn't been in years past, which is why I think we get the varying grades because some people are like, well, they addressed all their needs in the draft. It was a good draft, while others are like, you left value on the board there. Like, yeah, that need may have been higher, but the better player, Jermaine Johnson, was available when you took Tyler Smith. Why wouldn't you have done that and then come back in the second and take, like, a Ryman out of Central Michigan? I would never want to be tasked with prioritizing <laughs> something like that. I mean, you, have you ever been in a situation where there's so much stuff happening at mm-hmm. once and so many things going wrong? You're like, which fire do I put out first? Exactly. And that's kind of what this feels like to me. Exactly. I look at it and I see the which fire should I put out first mentality. And I think this is where GMs in all sports make their money. Mm-hmm. Do you best player available? best player at a position of need or focus strictly on positionary. Like these are where GMs really make their money. What's the most important thing to my team, to what I have to accomplish for this. And it's going to be very interesting to kind of see how the Cowboys go through this. Um, As we're talking football, I remember this week, the Texas Longhorns, they met a lot of needs in college football both through the transfer portal and also through uh, recruiting. And a big part of recruiting now has become the NIL. We hear about Pittsburgh receiver Jordan Atkinson, excuse me, Jordan Addison, the Bolitnikoff best receiver in all of college football. He, He wins that award last year playing with Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett goes pro. People are calling him, trying to entice him to enter the transfer portal he does this week. The NIL feels like, while it's always kind of been a little bit greasy, it feels a little bit greasier in terms of there are no guidelines right now right. on how to handle this. Like, should you be able to talk to players that are currently on a team and not in the transfer portal? Should you be able to entice them to enter the transfer portal with NIL monies, with NIL deals? Uh, Houston, uh, Texas Longhorn running back B. John Robinson. He signed a C4 endorsement on Tuesday. And on Thursday, he signs an, an NIL deal with Lamborghini of Austin. Yeah. <laughs> I, have to, so, I have so much to say about this. I'm like, well, first off, you know, back in my day, the <laughs> issue was the boosters. Yeah, and it still is, I think. Like, supplementing this. Like, this is just an easier way for them to do that. You just get a couple boosters who have some really great connections and say, hey, kid, we can get you sponsored by all of these people on top of your scholarship. So I'm wondering how how they're managing that process. But at the same time, like, this takes people, especially young kids, really Mm -hmm. managing their social media properly. You know, like, back... When I played, it was just kind of like social media wasn't really a thing. It was just kind of there. Like you mm-hmm. get on it to say hi to your friends. Now you get on it to make a living. And it, so it's just there's so much opportunity, but also so much gray area. And you get on it to make a, a living. You know, your amount of followers, that's a huge deal when you're talking about exposure in a possible NIL deal. We've seen it with 
basketball players, volleyball players, like if they have an, an immense following mm-hmm. on Instagram, they're eminently more marketable to an NIL deal because of their following. So growing your brand is very important. Very important, but also think about the pressure that that puts on young oh, kids. Absolutely. You know, it's already hard to, you know, fit in and like be accepted or whatever. And I'm sure it's easier if you're a really good athlete, you know, Is but it? I think a lot of people I sliding think, in your DMs. Oh, I know hate. all the creepers too. That creepers. too. Uh, that too. <laughs> no, but like when I, when I think about that, I think about all the pressure because there's been a lot in the, in the news lately about some young athletes in college you know, committing suicide and stuff. And yes. and I can't help but think that, you know, suicide rates are up for young kids nowadays. And I can't help but think that social media is a part of that. And so when you get these kids who are most likely type A and black or white, go hard or go home, all or nothing, it's, it's, a, it's a tough line to walk. Yeah. You know, and so now you're just adding a little bit more pressure with social media. Um, but I want to look at it in a positive way. I want to look at it as these athletes not being just used uh, you know, like think about the athletes who don't have a full ride scholarship. Mm-hmm. They still have other opportunities to support themselves. I think that's cool. Um, but yeah, the pressure is up, but also uh, I really want it to be a good thing. But I don't the know. people that have an issue with NIL money for college athletes boggles my mind Yeah, because as a col- as former college athlete, you're aware when you're under scholarship, unlike normal scholarship people who get to have their school paid for, if you're under an academic scholarship or a chess scholarship or any other kind of scholarship, you're allowed to go get a job and make money to help your- support yourself while you're on campus. Athletes are not afforded that same opportunity. You cannot have an extracurricular job. Right. I'll never forget when I was in college, we had like this ROTC program and they were like, hey, we can pay for the whole remainder of your school. You, we just need a little bit of your time. And I remember telling my coach that these people approached me and he was like, hell no, yeah. you're not going to do that. Like, <laughs> no, like we need you 100 percent. Exactly. Yeah. And so it makes it tough. It makes it really tough with traveling and mm-hmm. and all the dedication plus school like on what planet could you even get another job yeah. outside of that, outside of the NIL stuff? And even on top of that, that's only a piece of the issue I have with people that have an issue with players making money off of their own name. And why is college sports the only bastion in all of America where we are a capitalist society of go make your money if you can make your money? If you can find a job that pays better, go find that job that pays better. Right. Yet, when it comes to college athletics, we are like, oh, you're getting a free education. Isn't that enough? Right. Like, you're not allowed to make more than what you're worth or what you bring into the school. Think about the amount of money that athletes in general, especially football players, especially basketball players, generate for the university in terms of if the football program's good, attendance goes up, therefore more more money piles into the school. Mm If the basketball team is good, attendance goes up more. Like if the sporting entity is good at said university, it increases admissions, which increases funding. On top of that, 
It also increases revenue in terms of TV deals for the bigger sports. It increases money for the school in terms of visibility for the program. Like it generates billions of dollars. These athletes are generating billions of dollars. And yet money that's not even coming out of the school or your own pocket. You have an issue with these athletes being able to earn said money. Right. And at what point are are they going to eventually be piggybacking off these players? Because they have a super popular, good-looking player who, I don't know, is super uh, all over social media mm-hmm. and ends up getting all these deals, right? But the only thing I can think of, too, is the competition of sponsorships. Because mm-hmm. if they're sponsoring their players, then who's sponsoring the school, right? And there's so many... Oh, businesses sponsorship money is not like, going away for the yeah, school, I yeah. promise. It, it, I know, <laughs> but like, you know how big, greedy, corporate America can be. Like, you know, it, there's a reason small businesses struggle in this environment. And I, I almost see these students as the small business version of in the midst of a larger business, which is a school. You oh, know? absolutely. You know, that's but, kind of the, the, the way I'm viewing this from a business standpoint. But previously, the the small business was struggling right now the small business is thriving yeah the small business has its opportunity product at the same time exactly why would you want your product to to struggle you you don't like yeah the one issue i do have with this is there seems to be a lack of regulation the ability to court players that are currently under a scholarship under like this booster this is where it gets kind of icky and this is where i have the problem of maybe have a transfer portal window to where people can only enter the like right now it's wild west middle of the season you could enter the transfer portal if you want Hmm. you don't like what you're doing you can enter the transfer portal Okay, that kind of changes things. Maybe have a window to where, all right, season's over. You've got from here, this date to this date to decide if you want to enter the transfer portal, much like you have from this date to this date to kind of decide if you want to enter the NFL draft and hire an agent or the NBA draft and hire an agent. Like you have a window that you have to make that decision. I think the transfer portal needs something like that. I also think that these NIL deals should be like, you're committed for whether it's one year, two year, whatever it is, you sign a NIL deal, you risk losing said NIL deal if you transfer during the like the NIL deal is tied to you and that school. Yeah. And yeah. if you transfer or move or whatever, like that NIL deal, although automatically right. comes off the table. Right, because what if you're a brand and you're sponsoring this athlete and then they, you know, transfer to a less well-known school with a you know lower viewing population or, or, or something what like if that you're a lower sponsored by or, whataburger in yeah. texas and you transfer to usc yeah there's no exactly. whataburgers in usc yeah. there's no whataburgers in california but i also think you know what this this brings up is you know especially since you're talking about getting agents for when you know players go from amateur to pro well, now they're going to be getting agents even earlier, probably for these different the, promotions they and do. different they sponsorships. They have these, yeah. uh, they're not agents per se, but they're agents. They're pretty much agents. <laughs> they and are agents. It's crazy to me to be 17, 18 years old and being like, oh, i got to get an agent for my social media. You know, it's just so crazy, but it's also like amazing, you, <laughs> you know, because you, you can make to. so much money from it. Yeah, but you need to. But it's just crazy to think that one young kid can have so much power. But I think it's it's long overdue at the same time. It is. Because these is. kids have been 
doing so much for these universities. It's She's true. Katie Goodman. I'm James Pledger. You're locked into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Becky Hammond. She is one and zero, baby. She she played one game. She's one she's one hundred percent in every game that she's ever coached right now. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it next right one. here <laughs> on the Saturday morning hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM twelve fifty one zero three three FM, and on the go at sasportstar.com. dot com. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 103.3 FM. I'm James Pledger. She is Katie Goodman filling in for Jack Thompson today, who, as we got from Franklin Botello at Tanklin 13, is Jack matching outfits today? Is that why he's off? <laughs> in case you don't know. There's been a point with Jack and his lovely girlfriend that uh, they've matched outfits a couple of times. Where do you stand on the matching no, outfits, Katie? I don't match outfits, <laughs> but to each their own. No judgment, you know. I a little think, I think it's a little judgment. I think too, if they're really in love, and, sure. You know, and they're just they're just feeling. I mean, I've seen a couple of like. I mean, Halloween. That's okay. It's you can do oh, yeah, yeah. Costumes, oh, absolutely. You know, I I think it's cute when couples have a kid and like everybody's matching and their dogs matching and they do like the PJ photo shoots. That's cute. I just, that's a long ways off for me. <laughs> John Dyer at Spurs and Salsa, <sighs> cutting the grass and listening to I, I, I Am Pledger like a real adult. No. <laughs> He's adulting hardcore. Yeah. He also said that the Cowboys didn't have Jermaine Johnson as a first rounder and showed me their draft board because Jerry, Johnson deci- or Jerry Jones decided to show the world the draft board for the fourth time. Which is a whole nother issue with the Dallas Cowboys. Franklin Valdez at Frank underscore Valdez says legal bribing in terms of the NIL deals that we were talking about in the past segment. We're going to get back into the NIL, of course, but I want to touch on San Antonio's own. We, we wrap her in the 210. Becky Hammond. She uh, finally is a head coach. Of the Las Vegas Aces, which was formerly the San Antonio Stars, which was formerly the San Antonio Silver Stars. So, in case people were wondering, (laughs) she still has the San Antonio ties (laughs) over there in Las Vegas. She got her first win as a head coach in the season opener as they beat Phoenix. Badly. 106-88. I love it. I love to see it. And you I just want, I'm, had a I'm very intimate fan. experience I with Miss Becky Hammond. Yeah. As you were on the San Antonio Spurs pregame along with Michelle Beadle and a few others, mm-hmm. being able to host the, uh, co-host that with them and getting to talk to Becky Hammond. Yeah. In fact, we were in the middle of our segments and um and I saw somebody over in this, you know, nice bright colored hoodie and I saw her face and I said I know that face I think I know that I think that's and before I know it she's running over scares Michelle Beadle half to death Michelle Beadle was about to like throw hands legit and and I I told I told Michelle I was like I never knew you had that side of you like (laughs) that's amazing um no but it it was really great she came over gave us a hug got a little photo op but she had to Mm -hmm. pop off and and leave she couldn't stay very long yeah but no she was getting ready for her job with the Las Vegas Aces exactly but of course she, how could she not make an appearance when 
but it was the first ever all-female broadcast, right? How could she not make an appearance? And that had to have been pretty special for oh, you. Oh, it was amazing. I, I still look back and think, did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. And it was amazing. And honestly, it, that was the... Um, the moment that I realized, man, I want to be on a pregame show for a team. Mm-hmm. That's where I see myself one day. And um, nice. I always thought it was going to be really difficult, but it ended up being a lot easier than I thought. So Yeah, I remember you were nice. uh, sweating pretty hardcore <laughs> about it. Oh, yes. I overprepared to the max. <laughs> and I had like, I don't know, like 30 seconds to give my spiel. <laughs> uh, I've got so yeah. much to cram it. I know. I'm like, I'm going to have to speak really fast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, congratulations to Becky. It is awesome. I am actually going to be locked in on the WNBA a little bit just to kind of see how this season treats her and her first experience as a head coach. I'm very, very locked in. I want to I want to cheer for Becky. I want to cheer for the Las Vegas Aces. I want to see them do well. I want to see Becky succeed. It's incredible how that works, right? You give a woman a chance in men's sports. She does really well. And then anywhere she goes after, you're curious to know what she's doing. So, like, this is why I love the Spurs organization mm-hmm. is because they do stuff like that, you know? And um, and I, I don't know. I'd like to see more of that happening in women's sports. And I'd like to see her back in the NBA at some point. Coming up, we're going to have Cole Thompson of Sports Map Houston and Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation Texans reporter joining us as we recap the NFL draft, how the Texans did, how the Cowboys did. We're going to get into all that. Plus, if you weren't here at the beginning of the show, we uh, waxed poetic about relationships a little bit and how you deal with a friend that may be in not quite a good situation. And what's the worst situation you've ever been in? Tweet at us. She is at I'm Katie Goodman. I am at I am Pledger. <laughs> Google it. You're just going to have to Google it. <laughs> and, of course, we're going to get back into this NIL thing because I find it so fascinating about athletes and their ability to make money and the issues that people have with athletes making money at the collegiate level. That's all coming up right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 103.3 FM. Nice. San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN, AM 1250 and 103.3 FM. James Pledger, Jack Thompson, The Saturday Morning Hangover. Good morning, San Antonio, and welcome back into the second hour of the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN, AM 1250, 103.3 FM. I am James Pledger. Jack Thompson is out today wearing his matching outfits with his lovely girlfriend. So instead, I've got Katie Goodman, our Rock the Mic finalist, in with me today. One hour in the books, Katie. Oh, we're almost there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this time's flown by, but we, we got into a couple of interesting discussions in that first hour in which we talked about kind of the worst situation you've been put in as a friend. And you talked about somebody being left at the airport to where you had to go to Austin to pick them up because of of a bad situation and kind of the BS that they were put through, right? And so at what point, because I expect, I always expect no matter how bad the situation, like there's a fallback, like, oh, I, I give you another chance. Like, how do we get over that? Like, how do we get 
past that because you were you said earlier you hoped this was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like with with friends who are in those cycles, it's not going to help you to shame them because it won't make a difference. If they're going to go back, they're going to go back and do their own thing, right? Mm-hmm. And like, especially as someone who's un- understood and d- and been in a situation like that, you know, you I call them relationship goggles. Ooh. You're in it, and you these goggles, when they're on, you can't see all the BS. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you're out of the relationship for a while and you freaking lift those goggles. That's what I say at the end of the, in the, the, end of the last bad relationship I had. I was like... Oh my God, I had major goggles on. Like, <laughs> I had to take those things off and throw them across the room because that wasn't working out, you know? But I think too, it's like, if, if it's a pattern with every relationship, mm-hmm. maybe somebody needs therapy, right? No. And I'm a huge component of therapy. Mm-hmm. Love it. It has changed my life. I think it's amazing. But, you know, if, if, if it's like a one time thing and, it, the the point is to learn from your mistakes. That's that's the point I'm trying to make. You know who else is a big proponent of therapy? Ryan Tannehill. Mm. Former former Texas A&M quarterback and receiver, now Tennessee Titans starting quarterback. He admitted during a post-draft press conference after the Titans drafted Malik Willis in the third round to possibly be his successor one day that he struggled with his playoff loss to the Cincinnati Bengals in which he had three turnovers, including a costly interception at the very end of the game that cost them that game and how he was in a dark place and he had to go to therapy and that he's working his way through it. Mm -hmm. I love that. While congratulations, that's such a difficult thing. Like I hope the therapy works and you're able to clear these mental hurdles. But when you're talking about a quarterback and the position that leads a team and uh, all all the praise and all the the what went wrong falls on the shoulders of a quarterback, right, wrong or indifferent. That's just how it is in football. The higher you climb up the mountain, the more it's going to hurt when you fall down it. Right. (laughs) So, like, I think it's an incredibly vulnerable and courageous of him that he admitted that to people. I mean, think of the younger athletes who heard that and now feel like they can go and get therapy. Because like I had mentioned earlier in the show, there's an an uptick of these athletes, mm-hmm. young athletes committing suicide when a lot of it could have been, you know, prevented with talking to the proper person and just getting the proper help. And that's a whole nother topic. Like yeah. I could go off on that. But, um, you know, I, I absolutely love that he's doing something about it. And that's the thing about therapy, unless you're trying it's not going to work. Yeah. Like it takes two to tango, right? Your therapist is not going to have all the answers to all your questions, but um, it's becoming so much more commonplace. You know, I feel like it's so easy for men's sports to be very machismo and yes. to not admit when they're hurting or when something happened. And so I think this just opens a lot of doors for so many people, even people who aren't athletes, people who just enjoy sports, maybe who do come from that background where they might've been shamed as kids mm-hmm. for having feelings. You know, um, I think I think I would I would love to see more of that because, you know, he's not the only one who's been through some stuff. Probably, probably. But it, as a man who is openly having his job talked about it almost every turn, especially the quarterback, you know, they say if you if you aren't Tom Brady, if you aren't Patrick Mahomes, if you aren't Aaron Rodgers, if you aren't the guy, if you aren't one of the top guys in all of football, the backup quarterback is the most popular player in all of sports because 
if if you're not that guy, the fans are always looking for that guy. Who's that other guy? <laughs> exactly. And you're talking about struggling with this, struggling getting over this. Can you get over this? The mental block that it, it incurs. And they they literally, because in the NFL, you're always, always, always looking to be replaced. Yeah, and, and what people... In professional sports in general, you're always looking to be replaced. But yeah. in football, because it's such a collision sport and because injuries are so prevalent and because, like, running backs, receivers, like, the, the cliff, like, once you reach a certain age, like, the production drops and usually substantially. You're always looking for the replacement, and especially at quarterback, when you're not known as that guy, when they bring in competition like that, how does that affect it? And he talked about... It is not my job to mentor this kid, which I agree with. Like Tom Brady, it wasn't, he's not mentoring Jimmy. Aaron Rodgers isn't mentoring Jordan Love. Like you watch for me, you learn from me the way Aaron Rodgers did with Brett Favre. Brett Favre didn't mentor Aaron Rodgers. Right. At the end you of the just day, they're competing watch, for a position. Exactly. You just watch and try and take in what they learn. And now, if they have questions, do you answer them? I think that's what a good teammate would do sure. if they have questions and just having that good team chemistry. But at the same time, if they play there's the same exact about position, there's something about it, self-preservation. Yeah, like if that's the only position they can play as quarterback, they're never going to play together. Mm-mm. So, do they really need chemistry? Ooh, the drama. Yeah, I'd love to know about that. So, there's a lot going yeah. on in Tennessee. We're going to talk about with uh, Cole Thompson. He's going to. Join us, a draft insider from Sports Map Radio in Houston, and also a Texans writer for Fan Nation Sports Illustrated. And as we get ready to go to him, I want to leave it on this with the Dallas Cowboys, because that's where we'll start with Cole. I'm going to plant the seed of how great was that draft, and are they still the favorites in the NFC East following the draft. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250, 103.3 FM. I am James Pledger. Katie Thompson filling in for Jack, or Katie Goodman filling in for Jack Thompson this morning. (laughs) You can follow her on Twitter at I am Katie Goodman. I am at I am pleasure. <laughs> right now, we're going to talk a little bit about the draft. Seeing as it just wrapped up, and I've got one of my favorite draft guys, Mr. Cole Thompson. You can follow him at Mr. Cole Thompson on Twitter. He is the co or the host of Just Saying It on Sports Map Radio Houston and Fan Nation's Texans reporter for Sports Illustrated. Cole, how you been, my man? I think I'm doing better than you because you got your own co-host's name wrong. I so, did. Katie, I apologize for James's antics this morning. <laughs> I appreciate you, and I appreciate that shout-out. Hey, it's the Saturday <laughs> morning hangover. I was out late. Things happened. Just partying too hard, you know? I was. I, I had a little fun last night, too, but I remember my co-host's oh, name and my girlfriend's name and her. other people's name because I'm sitting right next to them. I got it. 
know the answer to that. Well, I'm in a different room from Katie. There's a barrier of glass in between us. Yeah, I don't think Jack Thompson would appreciate me going by Katie Thompson, nor would his girlfriend. So we're Probably gonna have to not. Probably clean not. that up. Katie Goodman. Let it sink into your heads. Good Fair man. enough. Goodman. Goodman. I should have been good woman. But I am good. Katie Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> but Cole, we used to get into so much draft conversation on those flights with the San Antonio Commanders back in the day. And I look at this draft, and before we get into the Cowboys, I wanted your thoughts on kind of your overall winners from the NFL draft. A lot of people thought the Jets had a really good one. Low-key, I thought the Kansas City Chiefs had a great draft. So out of the glow key, they had a great draft. I think very high key, they had a great draft because they simply had a great draft. You go ahead and find your replacement in uh, Trent McDuffie for for the uh, for Tyron Matthew to play in the nickel. One thing that I've said that I've talked to a couple of scouts about is they believe because of his smaller frame, he is eventually going to transition to safety. So if they play him right at safety out of the get-go, that might end up making him an all-pro very early on. Love the addition of where he kind of fits in that C Spagnola defense. George Karloftis was a top 10 player on my board to get him at pick number 29. I mean, 30 was phenomenal. It's great value. More specifically, he's a good bull rusher who can work on the outside against run defense, and he's going to improve every single year as a pass rusher. So there's a lot to like about there. Sky Moore, the value of getting him in the, uh, in the late 50s was tremendous. He can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. Reminds me a lot of Deontay Johnson coming out of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, the way they utilize him out in Pittsburgh, they can utilize him in Kansas City. And then they got some good value picks later on in the draft. So, I mean, they had an absolute phenomenal day one, day two, day three. I thought the Baltimore Ravens had a phenomenal draft once again. But mm-hmm. again, this is kind of what we think of when we think of what Baltimore does it's every single year. Death taxes and the Ravens having a good draft. <laughs> it literally is like on point. And to get two players on my big board who were in the top 10, one of which was in the top five, and Tyler Linderbaum, to be able to get him at pick number 25. And get an extra first-round pick for a guy in Marquise Hollywood-Brown, who I believe is only going to be a number-two receiver for Mm -hmm. the majority of his career, is phenomenal value. But then you got guys who I think could also contribute later on down the road. I very much love the Tyler Batty pick late in the sixth round. I don't think enough people are paying attention to that because, well, there were so many good draft picks before them. Okay, whatever. We'll just throw Tyler Batty in the mix and have fun. He's a Dual threat type guy, he uh, averaged 6.8 yards last year, second in the SEC, uh, 10.9 yards as a receiving option. David Chabo coming out of, um, coming out of uh, Michigan, he's now going to be paired up with Mike McDonald, who was his defense coordinator that took over for Week Martindale. I thought that that was phenomenal, and to get him for uh, the second round and be a long-term build, he fits that style of defense extremely well. Uh, I thought that also the Houston Texans, you know, for what they're going into this year, they had a good draft. They got value to trade back, so they got three extra picks. They were able to use those picks to move up and get guys like Jalen. I mean, to get guys like Christian Harris, get guys like John Mechie. They were able to go get a really good value defensive lineman and Thomas Booker, who I think could play a multitude of positions on that defensive front. Austin Deckless is the most decorated offensive lineman in LSU history, has 64 career appearances, so he's kind of almost NFL-ready as a swing tackle. I love the addition of Quinton, uh, okay. uh, uh, Tegan Quintana was phenomenal as well, so there's a lot to like about what Houston did. I think Detroit had a very good draft. I didn't like the trade-up value of what they got for Jamison Williams, but... They have not had a number one receiver for that offense since Calvin Johnson was there. <laughs> you could say Kenny Galladay has been good. You could say that 
Uh, you know, that last year Amon Ross St. Brown was good, but they need a vertical presence, and they mm-hmm. didn't reach on a quarterback, which is really, really important here. They understand that Jared Goff toward the season's end was playing significantly better, and they know that they can't move off his contract, so instead of bringing in a guy who they may or may not believe in long-term, they're just going to run him back another year, understand that it's part of the rebuilding process, and then in 2023, they can truly decide which of the young up-and-coming quarterbacks, which are immensely better than this year's draft class, who they want to go ahead and add. And that also goes to the Houston Texans as well if Davis Mills doesn't work out. Now, you mentioned the Houston Texans, and you talked about how well Jerry Goff was playing at the end of the season. You can argue that not only was Davis Mills the second-best rookie quarterback of all last season, but over the last quarter of the season, he was playing the best of any rookie quarterback in the league at that point in time. So what do you think of kind of what Casario's been doing so far now that we have an actual full draft to kind of gauge under his belt, plus this past draft and what he's done on top of like post-draft. Uh, he signs Rasheen Green, who's coming off a career-high six-and-a-half sacks. Defensive end Mario Addison, who had seven sacks up in Buffalo. Kind of the positions they didn't address in the draft this year, they found in free agency post-draft. What are your thoughts now that we've got like some groundwork with Nick Casario? Well, Casario said on three different occasions, the one thing that he wants to do is build good football players who are good people. So he was able to go get guys who are high-end academics, uh, high-end when it comes to all-American talent, and they all mostly came to the SEC. So we know that the level of production that they're seeing is almost ready plug-and-play. Uh, you look at what Derek Stingley is able to do. Lovey Smith has talked about it multiple times throughout the offseason, wanting to get a number one cornerback on the roster. Well, they did get that with Alexis Derek Stingley, even though I do think that he does play uh, a little bit inconsistent in zone, but they are going to be able, I think, to transition him. I thought the Kenyon Green pick was actually very brilliant. He's a four play. Uh, he's a four type tool offensive lineman. But actually, also can take reps at center, so it now gives you competition on that line. Uh, he's a two time All American, so you know that you're getting a good, solid player there. Versatility was another thing that they really wanted to get after. Uh, you get Christian Harris, who was a safety that transitioned to linebacker during his time in Alabama. You also get Jalen Petrie, who's played star, he's played safety, he's played free, he's played boundary corner, so he's done a little bit of everything. Uh, I love the addition of what they got for Damian Pierce, violent, physical, power runner that has very little wear and tear on the tires. And then you brought it up. As soon as the draft was over, they started addressing positions that they knew that they needed to add because they didn't add in the draft. Rasheen Green is a nice fit in a four-man rush. Mario Addison is a good value selection. Uh, I mean, a good value addition because of the versatility and the experience he has in the NFL. And I've heard that they're, they're still looking around at some of the veterans that are on the market, so maybe they do add one or two extra players. But I, I, you got to remember, this is a team that still is about two or three years away from actually being competitive. They have to go ahead and continue with this rebuild. And every team in the AFC got better. So, you know, just because of you know Houston got better, we're talking maybe about six wins this year. And, and, and the reality is that when it comes to Davis Mills, he's a third-round pick. So third-rounders only get one opportunity to truly strut their stuff and prove that they belong in the league. So he has to have a good year. But if they have, say, 4,000 passing yards and 32 touchdowns and 11 interceptions and a passer rating of 94, and Houston still is 4-13 or 5-12, and that's a conversation you have to have if you are Nick Casario and Lovey Smith do we believe that this kid can only get better? Because those are really strong numbers for any quarterback in today's NFL, especially a young second-year quarterback who has a very limited offensive line that still needs to be improved, a defense that did get better, but how much better, and offensive weapons that are good, but just how good truly are they, if you get my drift. 
Right. Now, now, Cole, I want to know a little bit about Derek, the Derek Singley pick. So top corners were him and Sauce Gardner, who went the pick after him. Now, how, how do you rank these two corners, and which one would you have picked for number three? Did they, did they take the right one in this situation, or how, how are you feeling so, about it? There's two ways to look at the scenario. Uh, I had Sauce Gardner as a top five player on my board. I had Derek Stingley coming in at number seven. So both were very high ranked, and I do believe that both could work in Houston's defense. I would have gone with Sauce Gardner if I was planning on being versatile with my defense. If I was going to be playing a little bit more man, if I was going to be maybe switching things up to go back to a 3-4 formation, if I was going to be playing with only cornerbacks being a primary need, that to me is the plug-and-play guy that you really want out the gate. But because of the zone-style defense that they run, I actually think they made the right call with Derek Stingley because Stingley at least has played in multiple coverages based in a zone formation, especially during his 2019 breakout year under Dave Aranda. When you look back at how they ran the defense at Cincinnati for the last two years, including underneath Marcus Freeman, who now is the head coach at Notre Dame, it's a very man-based defense. So it's very opposite of what Lovey Smith likes to run. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, they did make the right call in getting in Derek Stingley because if I do think that he's a little bit more fluid when it comes to zone, he does a really nice job of baiting quarterbacks into his direction. He is a mirror-type corner, so he does have great footwork, awesome fluidity when it comes to coming out of his break. But Sauce Garner is, in my opinion, a more NFL-ready cornerback because if he's a little bit more physical, he's not afraid to get in corner, I mean, in receivers' faces. He's not afraid to go ahead and go for the jump ball. So it really is based off of bang for buck. Look at what you're trying to do. If they're going to run with a zone-based defense for the next four, five, six years, and Derek Stingley is going to be an all-pro, I think he made the right call. But if you're going to change and get a guy to come in and play more man, then what you probably should have done was draft Sauce Gardner. You probably should have tried to teach him how to play in zone a little bit more. And then when you ended up switching over to man, you would be fine and you'd have a plug-and-play, number one bona fide, potentially Richard Sherman-type player. Amazing. Now talk to me a little bit about Damian Pierce. Um, and analysts are saying he's the running back of the future, but that he's really underutilized at Florida. So what do you think that means? Do you think he could potentially become a starter, or do you think he needs a little bit more grooming to get there? So the one thing I will say about him is that he'll be utilized, especially on passing downs. Uh, when you go back and you watch his tape, he was phenomenal for both Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson when it came to pass protection. I think he only allowed two pressures his entire year. And the other thing that you got to keep in mind, they had a running back by committee approach underneath Dan Mullen this past year. So he only had 100 carries, and that was second on the team behind yes, quarterback Emory Jones. So mm-hmm. it was actually a very heavy run offense with the quarterback being involved. But when you look at his speed inside the red zone, he's a very violent runner. Uh, thir- 11 of his 13 touchdowns came from inside the 10-yard line. So he does a nice job of using his feet, using his power, using his capability and vision to either cut back in, bully his way through the first line of the defense and get to the second level, or he does a really nice job being patient behind the line of scrimmage. A little bit of elusiveness that we don't really talk about with someone like him. So I do believe that in time he will be the future back of Houston. I mean, it's it's very hard for him not to be. I mean, it's very easy for him to actually end up with that title by week one. Marlon Mack has never improved from the torn Achilles. Rex Burkhead is, well, he's Rex Burkhead. I don't need to go much into detail with that. And they only have a number two <laughs> option behind those guys. So Damian Pierce, I think because of the less wear and tear on the tires, because of his versatility, because of his effectiveness on third down pass protection, He's going to carve out a very nice role for himself in the NFL quite soon, and I wouldn't be shocked if he does end up becoming the Texans' number one running back by midseason. He's that talented, and he has that potential. 
last one on, on Pierce, you, you are not Pierce, but uh, the Texans running game. You mentioned Marlon Mack, the signing they made this offseason, and him coming off the Achilles injury. Do you think that he is basically done, or do you think he has something left still? I don't think you'll ever see a 1,000-yard rusher guy averaging 5.3 yards per carry, 11-touchdown type player, but I do think that he still has some value to his game. I mean, the one thing that you got to remember is that he was one of the more physical running backs with speed during his time in Indianapolis, and he had to start splitting reps with Jonathan Taylor you know, last season, and when Jonathan Taylor was hot, why are you going to take him out? So maybe he actually has fully recovered from the torn Achilles, and the reason why we didn't see him play that much last year was simply because well, you have a hot hand, you want to use that hot hand in a guy who I would have voted for MVP if the Indianapolis Colts would have made the playoffs because of how talented and more specifically how critical he was to the Colts' success. I do believe that there's a lot of value for him. I do think that he will start the year off as the team's number one running back. I think that he will be able to see an average of 15 to 20 carries very early on, but I'm going to be very cautious when using him. The last thing I want to do is ruin my run game and trust a rookie to be the bulk of my carries, especially when he's never recorded more than 100 in a season. And in return, this is a team that has to get better when it comes to rushing the football, simply because last year was a franchise low 3.2 yards per carry, a league low eight touchdowns inside the red zone, all on rushing attempts. So they have to get better in that forefront, and last season was a complete and total disaster. Mack at least gives you some upside at that position, kind of like Damian Pierce, and they complement each other pretty well. One has a little bit more speed with some power and pop to them. One has a little bit more pop and a little bit of sneaky speed on the other side. So I think the combination of the two could be better. I'm just also not expecting either to have a stellar 1,000-yard all-pro type season like many people in Houston probably are hoping. He is Cole Thompson. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. He is the host of Just Saying It on Sports Map Radio in Houston and Fan Nation Sports Illustrated's Texans reporter. When we come back, though, here on the Saturday Morning Hangover, I want to find out about the Dallas Cowboys. A lot of varying opinions on what they did in the draft. Hang with us right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 103.3 FM. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 103.3 FM. I'm James Pledger. I am joined by Katie Goodman. Jack Thompson is out today. See, got it right that time, Katie. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we are joined by Cole Thompson of Sports Map Houston, the host of Just Saying It. He is our NFL draft insider. There is nobody I'd rather talk draft with than Cole Thompson. Cole, the Cowboys had a very polarizing draft to a lot of draft analysts. You could see them as one of the worst tied with the Patriots in Mel Kuyper's grades to as high as a B-plus in some grades that I've seen. They definitely addressed needs when you talk about the positions they needed. They It feels like they had a list of importance of a position and in order drafted in in that order at least on the first two days of the draft how do you take away what the cowboys did you know i think it's a c i think a solid c is probably the best way to put it because if they did get better and they did address needs it's just they probably could have flipped the needs and addressed them in a different way so let's start off with tyler smith 
Mm-hmm. Smith is a very good offensive lineman. I do think that he could work as a guard or a tackle. Maybe not a left tackle in the future, even though Jerry wants to play him at left tackle. I think he'd be a very solid right tackle. And he is athletic. He's very athletic. He moves extremely well. He's got good hand placement. And sometimes it's a little bit too good of hand placement because he gets a little bit too grabby. He led the FBS last year in holding penalties, which is something that, you know, you either have to break very quickly or it just becomes a part of your nature. That is something that I don't think anyone is really looking forward to, especially when you have an offensive line that you need to improve on after losing Connor Williams and Lyle Collins this offseason. Well, so, Cole, they had to replace Connor Williams' flag production. No, they did. By getting the guy who actually gets more flags. So, I mean, I guess same story, different day if you are Jerry Jones, if we're being completely honest. But, I mean, that's kind of the reality of it. I mean, you get an athletic offensive lineman who's going to be able to start right away, and you're going to get a lot of holding penalties. So that's something that you're going to have to work on right out the gate. Uh, Sam Williams is another selection that I thought was really intriguing because of the upside and potential he brings coming out of Ole Miss is phenomenal, and he does fit the style of defense. But it's one year of production, and most scouts I spoke to said he was probably more of a late day two, early day three selection. So they kind of overdrafted when you look at a guy like him. Jalen Tolbert was a phenomenal selection. I absolutely love the pick. I think what he does best is be that vertical threat down the field. And he is this sneaky, smooth route runner, which means he should be able to fill in in that level of production of what you're losing with Amari Cooper pretty quickly because if you won't ask him to be a number one, you'll ask him more so to be a number three. And there is potential for him to be a high-end number two if you ever want to move off of Michael Gallup who again that's a whole different conversation that we could have on a later date the day three selections two of them were my favorite uh mm-hmm. Jake Ferguson the tight end is basically like uh he's basically Dalton Schultz 2.0 he's a really good inline blocker he's good after the catch he can work the middle of the field and he comes from a big 10 offense that knows how to utilize the run in Wisconsin and again look at the offensive line that mm-hmm. Wisconsin has produced look at the running backs Wisconsin has produced he should be able to come in and help fix the run game for Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott and Damon Clark, I, I, I mean, if this kid does come back and play, because there is a what-if question with him, with the spinal injury, if he does come back and play, he's an all-pro potential. I, I mean, there were, there were teams that were looking at him as a potential late first-round selection. A lot of teams I know liked him in the early second-round area. So to get him to come on board and hopefully play, you're hoping that he can be the next Jalen Smith in the sense of what he did very early on in his career. And they continue that success after you give him an extension because we know what Jerry loves. He (laughs) loves to pay his own instead of bringing in actual talent and, you know, overspending on guys who probably you're getting for a lesser deal if you go to a different team. But, again, the the day three selections were my favorite, and I do think that they can be effective in time. Jalen Tolbert was the best value selection they made, and they did get better athletically. But there are a lot of questions when it comes to almost every single selection. And, uh... I think that we also have a lot of questions on why Jerry thought it was smart to go ahead and open up his draft board, show everyone, and then allow two <laughs> journalists to literally transcribe word for word the actual draft board and the draft grades they had on every single player. Really good job, Jerry. And this isn't the first time he's done this. This is actually the fourth time he's done this. And I don't think people understand what the big deal is about showing off your draft board after the draft. Because those are still important. Those evaluations are still important in terms of whether you're trading for that player later or trying to acquire them as a free agent. Like People know what your thoughts are on these players now as they move along through their NFL careers. Like they're, These draft preparations don't go away. They keep these evals for future use. 
I think the craziest thing, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, is when you have to act like you're the smartest man in the room, sometimes it comes back and bites you in the keister. Jerry often seems to do that a lot because, simply put, he's not a real GM. He's not a real executive. He's the owner of the team, and he's trying to do wear multiple hats inside the building. And when people question him, he goes ahead and he says, okay, well, let me show you how smart I am at this evaluation. Because you look at some of the draft grades, I was able to read a few. Chris Olave was the second-round pick on their board, and I'm like, um... No, Jerry, he's not. He's he's a first round talent. I, I promise you on that. He Jermaine had, uh, Johnson wasn't listed. I know Jermaine Johnson wasn't listed, and he was still on the board at pick number twenty four. So it's like, what are you doing here, Jerry? I mean, like, and, and you think that because of in years past when they've had to make adjustments. I mean, they were all in on uh, Caleb on Chase on in twenty twenty because they believed that CD Lamb was going to be off the board, and then CD's available, and they just switched their entire draft process. Mm -hmm. We're going to go ahead and add a defensive lineman second round. We cannot pass on this talent. And according to people that I spoke to, it felt very much like Tyler Smith was always the target. It was always going to be Tyler Smith. They could have had... Uh, they could have had Dak Prescott retire, and they would have just gone with the uh, Malik Wilson in round three kind of situation, <laughs> and they would have gone Tyler Smith. They could have had uh, Amari Cooper. Oh, well, they did have Amari Cooper. <laughs> traded, so they could have had Chris Olave on the floor, you know, waiting for them. They could have had uh, 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 Jamison Williams waiting for them, Traylon Burks waiting for them, and they still would have gone Tyler Smith. So it does feel like, you know, this was a year where Jerry wanted to just show everyone, I'm smarter than you, and it ended up maybe biting them in the butt just in front of the media perspective. I mean, speaking of this year, the Cowboys are perceived as the runaway favorites in the NFC East going in, but have other teams kind of closed the gap or overtaken them in the division after the draft? What are you thinking? I think they're the third best team in the NFC East, if I'm being completely honest. I think the loss of Lyle Collins, Randy Gregory, and Amari Cooper is going to be a tall task to get over. And the biggest one is for Dak Prescott. I mean, we've seen Dak Prescott's pre-Amari Cooper, post-Amari Cooper. And post-Amari Cooper, he's been phenomenal. He's played at a near high-end, almost Pro Bowl type level, and now you don't have a number one receiver, and you have to build that chemistry again with either CD Lamb, Michael Gallup, or new kid, new new incomer, uh, Jalen Tolbert. I do think the offensive line took a major hit because of you do lose Lyle Collins, and I understand why you had to release him because if you oversplurge, and you need to free up some salary, and he wasn't going to do that. But that's a good run blocker. I mean, Lyle Collins has graded out the last couple of years in the high 80s when it comes to run blocking, so we know what he's going to be effective as. And adding in Tyler Smith maybe fixes the problem a little bit, but not by much because of, again, Connor Williams was another name who was better in run blocking than he was in pass protection, which is what Tyler Smith is pretty good at. Um, I look at Washington. I think Washington, if they get the right quarterback in the building, which who knows if that's Carson Wentz, they could be a 10-win team. The defense was coming on really strong toward the season's end, and part of the reason why the defense struggled was because of consistent injuries they had at one point nine of their 11 starters on the IR, so they were all missing time. I thought New York had a stellar draft. I don't think that they're ready to contend because of the quarterback situation, because of the limitations that you have with Saquon Barkley, but Philadelphia, to me, is the clear-cut favorite, and they should be the clear-cut favorite, because they added in great depth on the defensive line with Jordan Davis, which was a need. They got an absolute steal in a heat-seeking missile to play your Mike linebacker in the third round with N'Kobe Dean, mm -hmm. and they traded for A.J. Brown, who is a on-point, when healthy, a legitimate top 15 receiver in the NFL, which is exactly what you want when you have Devontae Smith, who is the quote-unquote slim reaper and doesn't have that physicality you need after the catch, and Jalen Rager drops everything. So when you add that to the conversation, you're building around Jalen Hurts to be your franchise quarterback. And if he does hit this year, this is a team that can get 12, 13 wins, in my opinion. Dallas, I think, can get at most 10. I think Dallas can make the playoffs. I don't think that there's any doubt on that. But Washington can also make the playoffs. And New York, I think, can sneakily upset a couple teams on the way. So 
I wouldn't say that they're the clear-cut favorite. I would say Philadelphia is because Philadelphia not only crushed the draft, but they saw value in trading for a first-round wide receiver and then paying him right away, which also resets the market for all these other wide receivers trying to get paid. The asking price is minimum $25 million, and that includes guys like Hollywood Brown, who just got picked up with a fifth, for the fifth-year option, and they're going to have to pay him in Arizona very soon. Now, just going back to Dak Prescott really quick, because we all know he's a superstar, but a lot of these superstars are only as good as the players surrounding them. So now that we have all of these guys that have been on a roster, you know, the people we've traded out, just taking stock of who we have now on our team after the draft, do you think you're going to see improvements in his statistics in the coming season? Do you think he has the people around him that he needs to really um, be his best self? I don't. I, I, I wish I had a better answer for that, but I don't. I, I just don't see it. I, I think that Dak Prescott is going to be a very solid quarterback in the NFL and probably a top 12 quarterback, which is what he's been the last couple of years. But you have to build that chemistry up, and you have to pick a receiver that you're going to be able to work with. And that obviously right now looks to be C.D. Lamb because mm-hmm. of the injury to Michael Gallup. But at the same time, what if the two aren't connecting? And all he is is a high-end number two for the offense because – Amari Cooper was the guy, and Amari Cooper was the trust factor. Well, then you go look at the tight end position. Was Dalton Schultz a one-year wonder who just broke out, and that's why you brought him back on the franchise tag without paying him? Does Jake Ferguson break out and turn into Dalton Schultz 2.0? The run game is going to be efficient, but how efficient will it be? We've watched regression immensely from Ezekiel Elliott to where there's people calling for Tony Pollard to be the number one running back, and for actual reason, they should at least consider it. Mm-hmm. And the offensive line regressed. I mean, there's no way to put it. You're getting an older Tyron Smith. You also have inconsistent play from Tyler Biotis at the center position. You lose your left guard in Connor Williams, who was stable. Won't say he was great, but he was stable. And you lose your right tackle in Lyle Collins. So you're now rebuilding an offensive line with Terrence Steele likely taking over at right tackle, with uh, Tyler Smith likely slotting in for uh, Connor Williams, which means more holdings at that same spot. And you don't know what you have with the run game still, and you don't know what you have with a receiver, because if we don't know if Jalen Tolbert's going to hit, and we don't know if C.D. Lamb can take on control as a legit number one option. I don't think that the Cowboys are going to be bad. I don't think the Cowboys are going to be great. I just think they're going to be right in the middle of the pack, which is what they've kind of been. But maybe, just maybe, this is what gets you over the hump to fire Mike McCarthy and then trade for Sean Payton, which ultimately I do think happens in 2023. So don't expect to have a first-round pick, but you're going to get an A-plus coach in the end of it. (laughs) Now I just have one more question. Sam Williams, he's from Ole Miss. There were allegations of sexual battery charge um so knowing that okay maybe it was a charge maybe he wasn't found guilty but i have this theory that where there's smoke there's fire do you think bringing on a player who has a history of miss possible misconduct do you think that was a wise move or or what are your thoughts on that i think personally because of i unfortunately do not have that information i've been able to find out very little on the process I'm not the right person to ask. What I will say is this. Um, they have all the information. Uh, Michael Clemens, who got drafted by the New York, uh, New York Jets at Texas A&M, had two traffic stops where he was arrested. One was a very, very serious allegation. And they were able to do their due process and find out all the information needed to feel comfortable enough drafting him. So I would think that Jerry has gone through the process of going after and finding out as much information as possible on Sam Williams' allegations, and hopefully that is enough to where he does feel comfortable making the selection. But it's a big risk, big reward kind of situation. I mean, look at the Calvin Joseph, uh, you know, the Calvin Joseph news that's coming out right now. I mean, we saw last season one of the main reasons he had to transfer to Kentucky was because of his allegations made against him at LSU. So you're doing it once again with getting a guy like Sam Williams, high upside, high potential. But does have a little bit of uh, does have a little bit of a background and a little bit of a 
reachy, I would say questionable history to where is it worth making that selection? Terry believes that probably through the due process of the court and what he's been able to see, that it is okay to make that selection. And because of that, you know, I unfortunately don't have that information that the, that the Dallas Cowboys do. So if they feel comfortable, by all means, I mean, I understand why they made the selection, but you do run that risk, and you also will have a bunch of questions asked by the media about it for many, many, many weeks to come. He is Cole Thompson. You can follow him on Twitter at Thompson. He is the host of Just Saying It on Sports Map Radio in Houston, and you can follow his work at Fan Nation. He is the Houston Texans Sports Illustrated reporter. Cole, thank you so much for your time this morning. Hey, thanks guys for having me. That was Cole Thompson joining us here on the Saturday Morning Hangover. When we come back, we're going to put a bow on the show as Katie and I get you ready for the weekend right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 103.3 FM. Hope you love pina coladas. Might have to get one after the show today. I am James Pledger. She is Katie Goodman. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at I am Pledger. She is at I'm Katie Goodman. <laughs> I am I'm. I'm. As if there were an apostrophe. If there could be an apostrophe in your Instagram handle, I would put one. But yeah. I could not do that. So. It is what it is. How to be grammatically correct. <laughs> we're about to put a bow on the show, but. San Antonio FC running a five-match win streak, including that huge win a few weeks ago that we were at in the U.S. Open Cup third, was it third round? Yeah, yeah it the was the third round when, when we were there, mm-hmm. getting that huge win over Austin FC. They have won a couple of matches since then, have another match tonight in Phoenix against the Rising. Actually, coincidentally, the last team they lost to was the rising but there were some injuries justin mm-hmm. Dillon was out pc was out and even the phoenix coach himself mentioned you know we kind of caught him at a good time yeah and uh you know phoenix has been on that winning streak of until they lost the la galaxy and i think it's going to be a different outcome um in the match that you see yeah okay. it's going to be probably a much closer contested match this time around. I believe the first time they went, it was 2-0 Phoenix uh, over SAFC in that last round, and which were there without Dylan, which you can argue is probably, if not their best player, one of him and Collier and and Mitch Trainer. But you look at this, this match, closer to full strength, probably going to be a much closer game. Then Wednesday, short turnaround, Heading down to Houston, down at the TDCU Stadium, we get to see the round of 32 in the U.S. Open Cup as SAFC now gets to take on the Houston Dynamo. I'm I'm so excited for them that they get to take on another Texas rival. This is one of those, like, the best of the Southwest is what it's it's looking like here. And, um, you know, it makes me wonder if that's not going to affect their strategy for the game in Phoenix. Right? Are they really going to give their all, or are they going to save a little bit of the gas in the tank for Houston? Are you going to see them start their normal starters in the Phoenix game, mm-hmm. or are you going to are they going to save everything they got for for Houston? And yeah, it's not a conference game, but I mean, talk about bragging rights and mm-hmm. talk about potential for you know 
the future for them and, and possibly, you know, making it to MLS. Now, I know there's a lot of um, location-oriented stipulations, mm-hmm. which, you know, we can't have two MLS seems too close, but rules have been amended before. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's the Bible, right? And even the Bible's been changed, technically. <laughs> like, not there to piss anybody off. Testament. Yeah, not to piss anybody off out there. But There you know is a I, New Testament yes, all of a exactly. sudden. <laughs> Maybe this could be the New Testament of the MLS. You know, let SAFC become MLS, and then what do you know? We've got an incredible rivalry. Yeah, and then you've got a Houston-Dallas rivalry and yeah. a Austin-San Antonio rivalry. Right, right. And Austin actually beat Houston, and they've beat them multiple times in the past. And, and San Antonio so, FC beat Austin. We did, but I think a lot of people can agree that Austin did not show their best against SAFC. But they it wasn't that they were playing terrible, but I do think they underestimated SAFC. So my question now is, with San Antonio having a target on their back, can they still take the win? Because that's different when Houston can see that this team, San Antonio, Mm -hmm. just beat this team that beat us a couple days ago. Uh, You know, I think it's going to be a tough game is what I'm trying to say. And I have every hope for them. I'm going to be there. I'm going to go to the game. Yep, I'm going to watch the game. My sister lives in Houston, so, you know, might as well. I'm heading down Thursday afternoon, actually. Okay, so you're going to be there, too. Well, Thursday. Oh, oh. Okay. It'll be the day Dang. after the match. Well, you should have gone the day of the oh, match. I was. That would have been great, but I did not under. Uh, I did not realize this was yeah. the week of the match when I made yeah. these plans, Darn. and I took the Friday off, but not the Thursday. Otherwise, uh, I would have. Okay. Okay. I see. <laughs> Unfortunately, I see. when we and we're we're one to know at SAFC games. I know. I think we're good luck charms. That's I why think I'm so. saying we just need to wear the same clothes, same socks, same shoes. What was I wearing? <laughs> what was I wearing? Was I? I was wearing. Was I wearing the pines or was I wearing my ones that day? I think you're wearing your one. Okay, I think I was too. I know I was wearing the shoes I'm wearing now, which are yes, my, yes. Uh, I was wearing the ones with the blue shirt and the black Henley. Yeah, I, I had was. I had on my Stan Smith some jeans and a tank top. Okay, in case anybody cares. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to continue the luck, I right. mean, you gotta you gotta put this all together. And I hundred percent believe in that. <laughs> I believe in luck from jewelry and luck from like. Soccer socks. If I want a game of those soccer socks, you better believe they're not getting washed and I'm wearing them again the next game. Until they're crusty and ready to yes, fall apart. Right. <laughs> she is Katie Goodman. Katie, thanks so much for hanging out with me this morning. You've been listening to the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250, 1033 FM, and on the go at SASportsStar.com.